Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Let's pray together before we read Romans chapter 15. Oh God, today we embark on a worship and preaching series about radical hospitality. Would you help us know what that means? Would you help us understand how to live radical hospitality? How to get beyond ourselves, to see folks with your eyes, to be your people at work in this world. As Mark prayed just a few moments ago, We pray again, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as we open your word. Help us to hear your voice. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. That's our text for today. Let's hear the word of God together. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. Keep that open as we go along. You may want to refer to it a few times. It seems strange to begin a series on radical hospitality with uh, the question of fairness, 
fairness. But that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with fairness. We often have questions about fair at our house. You may have them at your house too. If you have a six or six-year-old, you know about the question of fairness. It is as if every day is a quest for justice for the six-year-old. <laughs> That's not fair. How many have heard these words? That's not fair. That's not fair. Oh my goodness, he got a treat and I didn't. That's not fair. Oh, the teacher gave little Johnny a prize for getting the most spelling words right, and I didn't get anything when I only missed five. That's not fair. That's not fair. Goodness, little brother gets M&Ms every time he uses the potty. I've been using the potty by myself for a long time, and I only get M&Ms once a week. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. What a teaching moment this can be for the wise parent, a chance to talk about fairness and justice and all those things. Maybe some of y'all do that. Maybe you do. I do not. <laughs> I respond in one of two bad ways. Dr. Campbell, you can help me know what kind of damage I'm doing to my children as we go along here. The, the first way that I respond is this. Say it one more time. Say it one more time. Just say it one more time. I'll show you fair. That's the best way that I get to respond to fair. Say it one more. Jamie, you know about it. Say it one more time. Just say it one more time. That's Adrian does that? Oh, no, no, I don't think she does. I think you do that. The other way that I respond, I don't know if this is better or worse. All I can muster in these moments in a a very, very condescending tone, which I cannot even replicate here, the fair is a place where you go to see hogs, okay? That's what it is. (laughs) Don't ask me about it again, okay? It's a place where you go to see hogs. Whew! Sound like my daddy. I don't know how this has happened. I'm only 42 and I sound like my daddy. Fairness. We worry a lot about fairness. The church at Rome worried a lot about fairness too. It was a very complicated place, the church at Rome. From the beginning, it included both Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christ followers If you've read much of the New Testament, you'll know there were lots and lots of questions about how to include these non-Jewish people who wanted to follow Christ. What were fair expectations of them? Do we make them become Jews first? Do we make them keep the, the laws and rules from the Old Testament? I mean, Jesus was a Jew first. If Jesus was a Jew, you probably ought to become one too. What does worship look like in that congregation? The non-Jewish people surely had worship practices too. Can't we let them bring a song every now and then, just rewrite it with some words about Jesus in there? Can't we do that? Would that be okay? What about food sacrificed to idols? Every restaurant in Rome served food sacrificed to idols. It was everywhere. The Jewish people could eat none of it. The non-Jewish Christians, the Gentiles coming to church, they brought that stuff to Wednesday night supper every single week. What are we supposed to do with that? They bring it to the table and they try to sit with us and they eat that food sacrificed to idols like it doesn't even matter. We don't even know what to do. The Jewish people were definitely in charge at the beginning of things. Everyone respected that this new way of Jesus had emerged from the Jewish world, it was only fair that they got to set the rules. But then, Emperor Claudius of Rome, 
the Roman Empire, he got angry with the Jews and he expelled all of the Jews from Rome. He threw them all out, even the Jewish Christians. He didn't know anything about the way of Jesus other than it was some kind of a subset of Judaism. That's all he knew about it. For five years, the Christian church at Rome remained and even flourished under that Gentile or non-Jewish leadership. It did not collapse in a heap. Finally, five years later, the Jews are allowed back into Rome, their first Sunday back at church. Oh, my goodness, what have y'all done? The bulletin is different. People are drinking coffee in the sanctuary. We're not singing the right songs. And there's a Gentile wearing a robe getting ready to give the announcements. He probably had a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit in a fellowship hall before he came down here. What are we doing, people? We don't even know if he's circumcised. Did anybody check to see if he is circumcised? I'm sure you didn't. And now there's a woman preacher. She's getting ready to get up and give a sermon. Oh, we cannot have this. Oh, no. Things got just a little bit tense in the Roman church, if you follow what I'm saying. The people who used to decide, the people who used to decide what was fair, why they now sit under the spiritual leadership of the people they once judged unworthy but to gather up the crumbs under the Lord's table. That's what's happening in the church at Rome. Paul writes this beautiful letter to try to get them on the same page. He's hoping to go to them to expand his preaching of the gospel to places he's only dreamed of going. He knows he will need them to be his base of operations. He'll need them to be healthy and whole as they become the sending place from which the gospel is going to the rest of the world. This is the longest and most theologically rich letter that Paul writes. In the interest of unity, he lays out across 16 chapters his understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for the world. He uses the lens of the Roman church's conflict to do that. Now, there's a whole lot to discuss about the division and differences and conflict in the thinking of the Jewish and non-Jewish Christians, but I think chapters 1 and 2 of Romans really get right to the heart of the matter. Paul starts this whole conversation by simply laying out the guilt of humankind. And he starts brilliantly using the favorite sins of the Jews, the ones committed by the Gentiles. <laughs> he names all of those sins and gets the Jewish Christians very excited. You tell them, Paul, you tell them all of those sins, they're wrong. Every one of those things is wrong. And then in midstream, he switches and he starts to name the sins of the Jews. He lays it out for them too. And the Gentiles are cheering. You tell them, Paul, you tell them how it is. They're sinners too. Paul throws all of that together. He says, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. You condemn yourselves. We still do this, don't we? We all have our favorite sins. Some of us get all caught up on sexual sin of any kind. We like to worry about that. At least we say, oh, Lord, at least I'm not looking at bad stuff on my phone. At least I'm not running around on my wife. At least I'm not like them. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes our favorite sin is, is greed and selfishness. Oh, Lord, thank you that I am not as greedy and selfish as those rich people over there. Thank you, Lord, that I'm, now I may be poor, but I'm not greedy and selfish like those rich people over there. Sometimes we do that, and oh, sometimes we worry about judgment. That's our favorite sin to jump up and down on. Oh, Lord, thank you that I am not judgmental like all those other people over there. You may not be, you may not be, but I can guarantee you that you're not 
perfect. You're not perfect. Chapter 2, verse 4 brings a profound criticism. In your judgment, in your judgment, do you despise the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You, not them, you. Chapter 3, verse 23 brings the climax. Since all who believe have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We do not earn what is fair. We do not earn what is fair. We are given what is merciful. We are given mercy. We humans so often clamor for fairness for me, defined by my own rightness. What God offers in Jesus is mercy for all the world, defined by God's justice and God's righteousness. One of these paths produces repentance and new life. The other leads to death. Chapter 15 comes and brings this wonderful summing up of the gospel around the place where we can see it best. How we think and feel about each other, especially the people we don't like. That's where we can see best how well we've embraced the gospel. Chapter 15, verse 2, each of us must please our neighbor for the purpose of building up our neighbor, not pleasing ourselves or claiming our position of strength. 15 and 3, Jesus showed us this way of life is especially hard. 15 and 4, we find hope in the steadfastness and encouragement of the scriptures for this way of life, not for some other way of life rooted in fairness for me and judgment for you. 15 and 5, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in the midst of your disagreements in according with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, so that you can make him known, so that you can make Jesus known by how you live among the people. Here comes the beginning point of radical hospitality, the place where you can best see if you've understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we see those around us. Chapter 15, verse 7, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome is proslambano in the Greek, proslambano. What a word that is. It means to take to oneself. It means to aggressively receive into your life. It means to grant access to your heart. This is radical hospitality that completely changes the way we see the world. And it starts with how Jesus has welcomed you. Though you were a sinner, Jesus still aggressively received you into his heart because he loved you. He loved you. He loved you. How much more should we receive each other into our hearts? Here we find Paul saying to this very conflicted and messy church, if you will receive each other like Jesus received you, and learn how to extend this Jesus-like hospitality to everyone you meet, how much more will people meet Jesus because of your radical hospitality toward them? 
It all hinges on how you see people and especially on how you understand yourself. Are we all sinners being saved by the grace of God? Or are you better than most, demanding your fair reward while people around you suffer the consequences of your self-righteousness? One of these ways of living, one of these ways of self-understanding leads to hope. The other leads straight to the place where they slop the hogs at the fair. We'd better pay attention. We had better pay attention to our radical hospitality. It tells the truth about us to God and to the world. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen. <laughs> 